0: This podcast is brought to you by Crisp. It is a software that automatically mute background noise in any communication app. No more embarrassing dog barks, traffic noises, crying babies and family chatters when you're doing your calls from home or the nearby cafe. With Crisp, those noises will be muted and your caller will not be able to hear any of them. Not only is it able to remove background noises, it can also even remove the ones coming from your caller. So all you get is high quality audio without the distractions. CRISP supports any devices and over 800 apps such as Zoom, Teams and Webex. Try out the world's best AI-powered noise cancelling technology for free. Simply go to adrientan.com.sg CRISP to get started. This podcast is brought to you by Grammarly. Compose bold, clear, mistake-free writing with Grammarly's AI-powered writing assistant. With Grammarly, your grammar will be perfect every time, whether it is a business proposal, emails or your resumes. It automatically points out grammatical mistakes and provides a one-click feature to make that correction for you. From grammar and spelling to style and tone, Grammarly helps you eliminate errors and find the perfect words to express yourself. Grammarly works on Gmail, Twitter, LinkedIn and all your favourite websites. It even works on your phone and tablet too. Now everyone can be a great writer and write brilliantly. Get started for free and find out what you can accomplish with the power of Grammarly at your fingertips. Go to agenton.com.sg slash Grammarly to download Grammarly onto your devices today. Welcome to The Adrian Tan Show. This is my podcast where I have deep conversations with the people who are enabling organizations to become ready for the future of work. My guests include a mindfulness coach, the folks behind Singapore's most popular investment app, and many more. They all have one thing in common, and that is to level up your organisations through your people. Welcome to episode 34. It's been a long time since my last podcast. I hope everyone had a great start to the new year, and I'm so happy to be back here with a new guest. My guest today helps organisations to grow globally. His sales and marketing training programs help clients increase business across regions and his global communications program help strengthen teams, build trust and prepare next generation leaders for tomorrow's threats and opportunities. His first book, The Accidental Business Nomad, a survival guide for working across a shrinking planet is available worldwide in hard copy, ebook and audiobook formats. In 2006, he moved to Singapore and opened the TSL APEC Operations, and build a team across the region. Please welcome my guest, Kyle Higatti. Hi, Kyle. Thank you for coming on to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you today because uh, for the longest time, my podcast has been featuring guests who are in HR technology suppliers of services all related to HR. But you will be the first author that I'm actually speaking with, so I'm really excited. Fantastic. I'm a first-time author, so it's first for all of us here. Good to know. So I have. I managed to finish your book. It is really, really interesting. Uh, so Carl, I'd like to start off by understanding about how you actually ended up in Singapore, what were you doing before, and the kind of journey that you've been through to motivate you to write this book. Sure, yeah. The, the book was deliberately
1: titled Accidental Business Nomad, just because my journey in some ways was accidental, as are many. I was working in Boston, doing lead generation. My, my background is just being a sales and marketing guy, helping companies build pipelines, And I was interested in expanding the business overseas. I had no idea how to do it. There was some momentum there. This was back in 04, 05, so a while back. And I basically got ahead of myself and I just said, look, to my clients, we can do this in in Asia. You know, as blanket and generic as that sounds. And surprisingly, a number of clients jumped on it right away. They said, yep, if you're if you're doing Asia, we were in, let's go. And before I knew it, I ended up having more clients and, and business that was focused on the APAC region doing lead generation than back in North America. So hopping back and forth on flights became crazy. And I figured I had to really make a go with this. So ended up putting my roots down here back, it was
0: 2006. See, and so the premise basically is to help become the sales office for companies or principals who are based in North America and try to distribute the items in Singapore. Do yeah. you also sell to other countries around the region besides Absol- Singapore? Absolutely.
1: So the yeah the, the the big picture the business was to help foreign companies, mostly western it happened to be, but expand into new markets. And so the real focus for the last 15 plus years has been this west Western companies expanding across, in this case, Southeast Asia. So that would also include like Australia uh, or Australian companies expanding into Southeast Asia and helping them figure that out. So we were supposedly, at the at the time, we were the sales arm for companies. It was almost like you just outsource the thing before you decide to go in and do it directly. Uh, and over the years, very quickly, what I learned and what others continue to learn is that there's a lot of differences, not only in just how business is done, but in culture, language, rituals, how you build relationships. And so over the years, I started evolving my thinking about that. And I realized that there were a lot of companies that were make individuals making the exact same mistakes over and over again. Uh, So I wanted to write this book just to tell some of these stories. Some stories get a little bit provocative and a little bit edgy, and, and they're not the most politically correct things, but they're real. And that's why I wanted to write this, just because I felt that there's a lot of cross-cultural books out there, but quite frankly, a lot of them came, come across. The, the examples seem almost just pre, like just made up or yeah, contrived. So I I, f- I thought, okay, let's let's throw this cross-cultural world some real-world stories and 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 see how people react to them.
0: And that's really something that I kept reading over the different chapters in your book, which is mistakes after mistakes that you encountered uh, over your adventure when you first landed here in Singapore. And, and it really started off with the project manager that you first hired, a lady whom you felt, could really should really have pulled out her socks. Could you elaborate more on that story? Please?
1: One of the and, and I wrote this story because I've seen this happen so many times. Where um, in this case, let's call it a foreign leader, executive manager, ends up hiring a group of people from you know from different cultures. So in this in this example, this was an American manager who met, who hired a Singaporean project manager, and it was really looking at the the culture clash, the behavior style clash. And how that can very quickly turn into problems to the point where the relationship falls apart and you end up finding like you're constantly having to rehire, retrain. And, and I see this happen from small businesses all the way up to large, This almost this like revolving door of talent. And what I hear, if you, if you look at it from the expat, the foreign perspective, the first thing that you hear is people saying, oh, these locals don't know what they're doing. They don't get it, and so it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, over over, you go through this enough. You go, maybe, maybe it's something different. Maybe we're the ones not getting it, because there's plenty of local companies doing just fine. Uh, they are having teams of locals doing the exact same work, and they're very successful. So when you start thinking about it logically, you realize that a lot of these problems are actually the outsiders who are trying to figure out these markets and how they need to adjust. That was kind of this thing that I'm continually wrestling with and trying to figure out not only for myself, but for other companies, you know, here in 2021, we've got a lot of foreign businesses. A lot of expats are leaving because they either have to, or, you know, as, as, as companies are are cutting back, but they continue to have these problems managing each other and, and, you know, I think I think foreign companies do wrestle with the, the culture clash that happens not just in Singapore but but all over the world. So these are things that I kind of I, I like to look at and, and tell those as stories just to see, try and isolate where do these where do these mistakes happen, what's the moment,
0: and then what can people do to correct them. Mm, and we we'll definitely jump into that to learn more. You started your adventure around 2004, and given right now we're in 2021. Yeah. Based on your observations, many of these problems still prevalent. And what are the common ones that are still being done, yeah. even though it has been most more than one decade later?
1: Yeah, it's it's more than that. And and a the one of another reason I wrote the book was because having been here so long, it just seemed like. The same problems were happening over and over again, and and I'm frequently asked, "Is this thing? Are we are we getting better at it?" And my somewhat skeptical, pessimistic answer is, "No, I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of improvement, or I'm not seeing a lot of change here." I, when I started getting serious about overcoming these challenges, I first started looking at large companies that have been here for a while, or who have been global for decades, if not over a century. And there's a couple of them out there and so i figured they would have the answers they would be the keys to this and that actually is a lot of the large the the large consumer companies you know the the brands that we can all think of that that have been here forever who are now just really global companies and you'd start talking to them and looking and and they're bringing expat executives in they're not really prepping them or training them maybe they're giving them a half day or a or a day of You know, culture immersion training, where you're taught to hand a business card with two hands and you're taught to, you know, what chopsticks are all about. But there's not really any in depth focus that I'm seeing, even with these companies that have been doing this for decades and decades. And I think that what happens is a lot of these failures get pushed under the rug, ignored or avoided because people don't want to deal with it. Sometimes it's a bit of a controversial topic. You know, you don't want to come across as sounding like you're stereotyping or generalizing. And people tend to to hide from mistakes that they've made. What I was trying to do is say, look, let's point, let's tell some of these stories so that we don't have to keep repeating history over and over again. I think it's one of the biggest tragedies of the of the twenty first century in terms of the globalization push that's happened. It's like are, are, have we learned anything? I, I don't, I'm not seeing it. And I think that there's a huge opportunity there to be able to help people fast track so that they can actually work in more global environments faster. You know, I actually, if I think about it in 2021, we're not traveling, but we're a click away, right? We're a Zoom call, a Skype call away from speaking to people all over the world. It, it's like the expat experience is is happening at the click of a button. Easier to make a mistake. Much easier, right? So everything has accelerated, including the mistakes. Yeah.
0: Right. And, and learn you definitely did. In the book, you had advice from so many different people across the different chapters and also seen how some people actually evolve. Yep. And I noted uh, one very interesting story where you made a trip to Philippines and gotten some insights into how a fellow, I would say much somewhat a competitor, in, in how he deal with uh, the locals. Could you share some insights on that? It was just
1: the call center chapter where he was, he was adjusting messaging based on, on cultural data. So in, one of the things that happened to me early on was I found a call center in the Philippines where there were trainers and the people would come in and you, you, you get this group of people and oftentimes it would, you, you it was assumed that the call center challenges were sometimes because of the accent. So you you go in and you'd see accent training, which was kind of this funny thing. And I think it still happens here where they try and neutralize the Filipino accent, or they try and neutralize the Singaporean accent to make it more Western sounding. And with people who had been doing this for long enough, we know that it's not an accent problem. There, It's not the words, it's the underlying approach to business and to how communication actually happens what he ended up doing this this trainer he took cross cultural data that has been studied for decades and it's looking at these differences and this gets to some some people find this controversial what what the data suggests is that there are different communication styles and different working styles in different parts of the world at a high level you could argue you know philippines is a indirect communicating culture. They kind of talk around an item in terms of ways to get to a point or solve problems. It's more about nuance and reading between the lines versus say in the US, which they pride themselves on being much more direct for the most part. So what he ended up doing was training callers, not on accents, but on cultural communication traits and he ended up building this very rudimentary software that took took this cross cultural data and it essentially turned it into a giant formula and so if a caller was calling into the united states the call guide the script would actually adjust for for that audience based on the communication based on the the data set that he was looking at i thought it was just an interesting idea didn't it, it, it like anything you know you, you can't solve human soft skills with hardware and and tech, right? Tech, you got to be very careful with technologies. It's not the answer for everything. But it was a really interesting starting point to start thinking about these different communication styles, these different working styles. And the more you put that data set in the back of your head, it was a good starting point to be able to kind of adjust in real time, depending on who you were talking to. And I spent some time writing about these call centers, because I felt like it was like the ultimate petri dish of cross-cultural communication. You've got, in some cases, tens of thousands of people on the phone, speaking to people all across the planet, hour after hour. And there was a ton of mistakes being made, but also a ton of lessons being learned. So that's, that's why I spent some time digging into that and looking at that more carefully.
0: And this sounds like a very interesting idea to approach this kind of problem by tackling all these communication, cultural issues, again being mentioned in the book, yeah. on how people, in, in, in many countries, in the countries that you probably are familiar with, a yes means a yes. But in some other countries, a yes may means a maybe, or a yes means a no. And, and I think this approach really works really well and tackle the problem straight on versus the slapdragon approach, which was mentioned very early in the book i had uh, i had this client years and years ago and
1: he he was from from texas and he had, i don't know if he had traveled at all but he was interested in asia like so many people are in terms of the growth expansion and he wanted to take his software and just cut and paste it and sell it all across asia and so i he hired me to be his marketing and sales guy here as as to get started and he lacked a lot of Curiosity and interest in any sense of localizing. I was telling him, you know, we can't use your existing material. It doesn't, it won't work over here. You're using American spelling. You're using baseball imagery. People generally don't really care about baseball here. And you're making yourself look very much like a US or North American centric company. And he got really frustrated at that. And he just said, you know, just slap a friggin' dragon on it and make it Asian, and that'll, that'll solve the problem. And I've, ever since, I, I keep telling... The, the book was originally supposed to be titled Slap Dragons. And, and just because I loved the idea of just this sort of ignorant, possibly racist kind of comment that, that was a failed attempt at covering over all of the nuance and complexity... Of growing, growing a business globally, and it was to me it embodied the core mistakes that people make, both from a product level, but also from a mindset level. So I can just come anywhere in the world and use my exact same management style, and you know, I'll I'll talk about dragons, and that'll that'll get me locally, you know, that'll get me in with the locals. It's like that's not how life works.
0: And and I really appreciate the fact that you are so honest in getting feedbacks and advices from every anyone, even writing them on napkins because you don't have any writing material to write them on. And from the most unlikely group, a group called the Centurion. Could you share a bit more about who this group are and why what makes them so famous or notorious? Even even
1: mentioning the Centurions gives me like this lingering headache from a hangover. The Centurions were the the stereotypical classic expats here a uh, bunch of guys who would meet up once a month and go golfing and oftentimes uh, these were guys located in places like Singapore and Hong Kong and they would go into Indonesia or Malaysia where it was cheaper and they just caused all sorts of havoc I mean it was the classic expats behaving badly story you know we we all know of those types of stories what I found was that there was a lot of Insight, you, you know, if you looked beyond the chaos and the massive amounts of drinking, there were people with a lot of knowledge and experience, and I ended up learning a lot from them. So the, the centurions were named centurions because they were all such bad golfers. They averaged a hundred, shooting a hundred or, or higher per round. So that was, that ended up being called the, the centurions group. Don't know if any of them are still around. Hope I I don't know. But there were a couple of characters there who, on the surface, they just behaved terribly. But when you'd actually talk to them, they not only knew a lot, but were very well respected and well liked, even with their local teams. And the irony I was I was trying to point out was that sometimes you get these like perfect looking expat managers, but and you know they're clean cut and all this stuff. But people don't really like them or trust them versus this completely out of control weekend warrior crazy person who comes across as, as, as really rude but actually gets the job done and people have respect for him and gets results. And it was kind of this weird uh, profile of these characters just to look kind of a little bit deeper than people would typically give them credit for and to find some of the skill sets that were there. Some of them were really good at communicating in in different ways, like using specific storytelling techniques. So I got into the detail of that because I think that there's a lot of lessons that could be learned there. Uh, And then there were other guys who, you know, I don't know if I would, I don't want to say they cut corners, but they were, they, they, they cut through the corporate bs when when things got really hairy you know there would be there were the the earthquake in japan or the tsunami in 2004 in indonesian parts of thailand the attacks in mumbai in 2008 a lot of global companies would have to make very quick decisions but a lot of times people were very scared, you'd have to go have a a giant meeting in, in headquarters before any decisions were made. And then weeks or you know days or weeks would pass. Nothing would get done because everyone was trying to cover their own ass and play it safe. These were the guys that were on the front line actually solving problems in real time. Kind of getting past the red tape. And I found that fascinating. And I think that the, the book was written before COVID, but COVID would be another example of that, where in February and March here in places like Singapore and elsewhere, we were getting hit with this stuff. Corporate in a lot of the Western companies, they weren't listening or they weren't giving any guidance whatsoever as to what the rules were. What, you know, could people work from home? What was the sick policy? You know, how does, how was traveling supposed to work? They were very slow to respond, whereas there were some leaders here who took the initiative and they did things their own way. They got in trouble from a you know, bureauc- bureaucratic standpoint, but these were the guys that you'd actually want to follow when, forgive my language, when the shit hits the fan. So I, I, I particularly like that chapter just because it's a little bit provocative, but also I think there were some pretty cool lessons
0: that came out of it. That's one of my favorite chapter too. And knowing what you know right now, if you can give advice to the cow of 2004 or for anyone that might be looking for a new stint in a, a country like Southeast Asia or yep. any part of Asia, what would be your top advice for, for them?
1: So that the, the answer is the book that you just read in, in a you know 200-page answer. The quicker answer on a podcast is... To slow down. If you want to get results, if you want to speed up results, you've got to slow the hell down because the techniques, the approach, the mindset that works in one part of the world has to be reinvented, reimagined, and changed in other parts of the world. And what I continually found myself going through, and I see this with others, is that they come rushing into these new markets they get frustrated because they're not seeing the change or the growth that they promised or you know were expecting and oftentimes they doubled down on what they had been doing already which was clearly not working so it's this kind of irony of management or leadership where you come in you do something it fails so what do you do you do it again and you do it louder so, my advice would be to slow down and be more thoughtful about some of these variations. And, and kind of, I think when you can calm down like that, it, it opens up a lot more creativity uh, and ability to be able to be more effective. I've, I, I did try and write a cup, about a couple of characters in that book who I thought did a very good job with that.
0: And, and besides, of course, promoting your book right now, what other stuff uh, is keeping you busy right now?
1: The, the big thing here is sales. So I'm, my entire career has been of helping companies build pipeline and drive sales. 2021 is a scary time. I just did a sales training this morning with a team, you know, they're doing okay, but a lot of these deals are happening slower and the deal size is starting to shrink. And so, a lot of companies need to refocus on sales to reimagine and build up their their pipeline in new ways. They've got to do this remotely. They've got to do it uh, across, oftentimes, across uh, regions. So, a lot of my time now is spent on helping sales teams figure out how to adjust to this new this new normal. To use a very overused phrase, but you know, what what is it? What how do you get a team functioning and just crushing it? in such uncertain times. And in some cases, it's using techniques that are tried and true. In other cases, it's using some new stuff that hasn't been done before. So a lot of my focus is is going back to the sales world and helping teams really rebuild pipeline and driving, driving
0: deals. Good to know that. And for people who is interested to find out more about your book, where can you go to?
1: Probably the first place would be my website, leadershipnomad.com. And that'll have a bunch, of course, a bunch of links to the book. It's available. I, I think you have the hardcover. You read a, a e-book, but they, they made an audio book of it as well because it went through a traditional publisher in the US and the UK. I was joking about it with somebody last night. They, they had a professional. He's like one of the top, you know, audiobook voices narrate this book. I wasn't asked to do it. I never thought about it, but he ended up doing all of the accents. So there are, you know, there's Australian, there's British, there's Dutch, Chinese, Taiwanese, Singaporean, Filipino. And this guy is attempting these accents. And I don't think he does a very good job, but to the <laughs> point where it's almost like, Kind of amusing, like you kind of, kind of have to just go for it. So the the audio is kind of interesting just from the accent standpoint. So I kind of had some laughs with that one, and you know, again, it's like out of my hands. I, I don't think I would have done it that way, but I've got to, I got to own it. It's my name, it's got my name on it. Just for the bad accent, I may check out the audio book. <laughs> yeah, you got to see how a an American decides to interpret a, a Singaporean accent. You won't. It, it's not good. <laughs>
0: and that's the fun part well thank you so much for making time today and for people who is interested to find out more about the book i'm going to put a link to the show notes and uh thank you for your time and i wish you continued success in your sales training in your business as well as your book thank you so much adrian it's great chatting with you thank you for listening to the podcast you can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses if you enjoyed this podcast it would be helpful to give a review on itunes or follow me on spotify if you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.